I hope that this period will have taught us a, a new level of sort of insight. Hey everyone, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president at Blast Media, and as always, I will be your host and bartender today. Well, I'm sharing a drink today with Norman Guadagno, CMO at Acoustic, a marketing cloud platform that was recently born out of IBM. So there's no question, guys, that B2B SaaS marketers have experienced an unparalleled amount of change in the past five months. And another layer of disruption was added into Norman's life with the appointment of a new CEO. On this episode, Norman and I are discussing how to navigate those first 30 days with a new CEO, including his advice on how to prepare for that first meeting and what to do if you have differing views on marketing. Bum, bum, bum. So mix up a drink and join me and Norman for the final episode of season two. We are both on Eastern time and have crossed over into the PM hour. So I am staying true to the process and having a drink. It is a grapefruit truly, which I realize is so basic. And man, if I had a lot of these in, in lockdown summer, we sent you a cocktail of your choice, which is the Blackberry Bramble. It was both a lovely thing to receive. And uh, I was also amazingly uh, pleased at the weight of the the box that it came in was primarily the lemons inside of it, since there were two fresh lemons inside, which just uh, cheered me to no end. I do love the cocktails and uh, all the things associated with it, so I was excited to give it a try. Well, Norman, unlike many of my other guests, you and I haven't actually had the chance to meet, so this stands as our very first conversation. And the Acoustic PR team actually approached me and suggested you as a guest, and I'm glad they did. I absolutely professionally creeped around online and discovered that Acoustic had recently brought on a new CEO. And I thought it'd be pretty interesting for our listeners to get your perspective as a SaaS CMO on how to navigate such a big C-level change. But before we dive in, I do want to give everyone a little background on you and Acoustic. So to start, what is Acoustic? All right. Well, you've done all that creeping, so I was hoping you were going to answer the question. <laughs> but I'll dive into it for you. So Acoustic is a uh, marketing cloud or a MarTech vendor. We were actually born, and I use that word liberally, we were born uh, just a little over a year ago uh, as a carve-out from IBM. And the, the short story there is uh, over the course of about a decade, IBM had acquired and built a set of marketing technology, marketing technology companies, an email campaign management, a uh, experience analytics tool, a personalization tool, built a content tool, tied it all together with a great data exchange tool, but it, it just wasn't a core business for IBM. So that entire set of products, all those customers, about 3,500 of them, and about 1,000 employees were all uh, carved out of IBM and were now owned by a private equity firm. And that's how Acoustic was born uh, on July 1st of 2019. And I joined the company on September last year and have been working since I joined on standing up the marketing function, building the go-to-market engine, starting to build a brand, navigating through a global pandemic, just the usual things that a, a CMO does in their first 12 months. How did you get into B2B SaaS marketing? What was your journey? 
Boy, that's that's a, a long journey. I don't know that there was ever a point in time where all of a sudden it's like, oh, B two B SaaS marketing, that's it. But the uh, the short form is prior to joining Acoustic, I ran marketing here in Boston for a company called Carbonite. Carbonite's fairly well known in the uh, backup and data protection space. Uh, I was there for four years, uh, helped uh, move the company into being a B2B brand and B2B player. Uh, and before that, I was actually, I spent five years at a marketing agency. And uh, when I was at the marketing agency, I had quite a number of B2B clients uh, in the SaaS space, and including Carbonite. And, you know, my background has been in software, primarily B2B software for a long time. And uh, the sort of evolution towards this focus on SaaS and uh, really as the, I think, preeminent model for software delivery in the, in the current and I think the foreseeable future, uh, it was inevitable that that's where I would sort of stake my claim and uh, make sure I could try to create some value. Awesome. We launched season two of SaaS Half Full literally in the start of the pandemic. So it was impossible to not speak with guests and talk about what's happening. So we've covered a lot about pivoting to a digital only environment. How has your team adapted since March? We've actually done really well. I was just thinking about this recently, Lindsay, because when I, when I think about the sort of trepidation and uncertainty going into everybody moving to work at home and virtual, uh, and there was a lot of it. Uh, and then when I look back over the past four months, what I've seen is an increased focus by my team and myself, an increased ability to discriminate clearly between uh, what we're going to invest in and what we're not going to invest in, uh, and, and frankly, a uh, I think increased productivity. There may have been a lull at first, but we're all getting uh, sort of our feet underneath us in this new world. But I, I think we're actually at the highest level of productivity. It, granted, but in fact, just last week we kicked off our uh, sales kickoff for the year, completely virtual. We uh, managed it uh, pretty quickly to bring it up and create it. And we actually have a second week of it this week because we, we determined that since we didn't have to fly a bunch of people to a hotel somewhere and lock them up for three days to try to run a kickoff, we could actually spread the content across time and allow the sales team to feel like they could both participate in the kickoff for a few hours a day and also still do their job as they kick off a new fiscal year and a new quarter. You mentioned an increased discrimination on what you're going to invest in and, and what you're not. Can you give a couple of, of examples of maybe things that you pulled the investment lever on and things that you are not anymore? You know, one of the things that obviously pops to mind for everyone, and it, it's tried but true, is well, we're not going to do a lot of those physical events for a while. And, and I only say that because it actually forces you to put every potential live event that you would have done under a microscope and ask yourself, okay, is this worthwhile? Would it have been worthwhile? And then you ask yourself the second question of, well, you know, vendor X has transitioned from a live event to a virtual event. You really have to look carefully and see, should I do that virtual event? What is that going to deliver that all the other virtual events are, is or is not going to deliver? So it, it forces you to look very carefully at the things you may have taken for granted. 
as one thing. The second thing that we have done is we obviously, like many, we increased our webinar frequency right up front, but we learned quickly that it's less about frequency and more about content. And so we pulled back on the frequency and made sure that we have the right content that we can deliver. So I think it made us better at discriminating the type of content and looking more carefully at our webinars. So each thing that we've done causes something that may have been routine or, yeah, we did that before, we'll do that again in the marketing world and puts it under, I think, a, a new microscope of let's make sure this is going to pay off for us. And, and I feel that that's actually tremendously valuable to marketers right now. Yeah, I agree. And that seems to be the consensus among marketers that I've spoken to on this show. Um, and just as a SaaS marketing pr professional, is that microscope that you talked about, is it really made them re-examine the why behind everything that they were doing and are doing. And ultimately, that's for the better. It's, it's made people become much more responsible and better marketers and getting rid of the things that really didn't have an impact on customers. So. If we can think of positives that come from all of this, that is definitely one of them. Absolutely. And I think we're going to see the benefits of that when we return to some office work. And who knows what that's going to look like or when that will happen. But when we do, uh, I hope that this period will have taught us a, a new level of sort of insight and consideration around the types of activities we do. Now, I've always been a a very much an outcome-focused marketer. That is, that I, I push my team to focus on the outcomes we're trying to achieve, the goals that we have, and not worry too much about the way in which we get there. And it's not that the way in which you get there isn't important, but sometimes marketers can have a overly enthusiastic focus on the thing, right? The beautiful event or the beautiful piece of content or just the, uh, what I sometimes refer to as the ephemera of marketing. And the ephemera has its place, but it's just that. It, it, it is ephemeral. And what matters are the, the outcomes that you're trying to drive and uh, the results you're trying to create. And I think another outcome that we've seen of this time has been that we can focus even more on those outcomes and perhaps a little bit less on the, the ephemera of it all. So no challenge here that there's been a ton of change for SaaS marketers. But you personally had another layer added to that with Acoustic bringing in a new CEO in June. How did you feel when you first heard about that news? It's always interesting, of course, bringing on a new boss, then bringing on a boss that I've never met in person. I've only met uh, online. And, uh, you know, when I, uh, I was actually, it's funny, knowing I went back through my notebook and uh, I saw the very first discussion I had with Dennis, our, our CEO, and that discussion took place uh, back in sort of mid-May after he had accepted, but before he came on board. And, uh, you know, I, as like all of us, right, I, just like you did to me, I did a little stalking on Dennis beforehand and figure out what his background was. And he comes from a terrific background, but you don't know what someone's going to be like. And uh, given the situation at Acoustic, uh, I was eager to, to engage with Dennis and uh, find out uh, what he was going to be like and also uh, help get him up to speed because we're, the, we're such a fast-moving 
company, given the nature of our carve out and the transformations we've been going through, that I wanted to quickly get my new boss up to speed on all that has happened and avoid him having to ask questions that we already had answered. I wanted to give him as much of those answers as I could. So it, it was it was a little bit, uh, I won't say frightening, but uh, you know, as with all of us, when we get a new boss, we had to approach it with a, okay, is this going to be a good fit? Uh, and now almost two months in, I can honestly say that I, I think it's a really good fit. I'm very pleased with the relationship Dennis and I have formed and He's very respectful of each of the roles of his executive leadership team, but I didn't know beforehand, and uh, I was uh, I was eager to have that first conversation. So when Dennis came on board and there was time put on the calendar, how did you approach that uh, in terms of what you were going to tackle? What was that first conversation like? Yeah, I approached it uh, the way I, I try to do most of these type of conversations, which was, uh, I was really interested in uh, letting him lead, and that is I wanted to give him the opportunity to sort of address the things on his mind, address the questions that he might have, and I didn't go into it with a, oh, here are the 10 things I must convey to Dennis. I knew what those 10 things were in my head, but I, I didn't feel that I would, or he would actually gain anything from my coming to the table with the list of 10 things you must know or act on. And so we approached it at first where I just wanted to get to know him a little bit. And I wanted to ask him, as I did, you know, what was important to him. And uh, fortunately, Dennis is the type of leader that has a very clear and well-articulated philosophy on what's important to him and where he wants to focus. And he was able to uh, articulate that very quickly with me. And I, I found that that was really useful. And one of the things that emerged in that conversation, those first few conversations that we had was Dennis would sometimes uh, refer to a specific book. He's, he's a big reader. He loves business books. And he would say, well, you know, in this book, and they say, have you read that? And I said, yes, I have, because I also happen to be a big reader and I, I love business books. So, you know, he probably mentioned five or six books of which four or five of them I had read. And I think it created a good connection right off. So that we had some common language because one of the things that I think is important when you're onboarding either someone you work for or someone who works for you is that you quickly develop some common language, that you know what you mean when you say something. And uh, so a lot of our initial discussions were on big themes and making sure that he could come in and uh, be able to impact the business in a way that made sense. And it was also an opportunity for him to learn uh, who I was. And uh, that, that I think was really rewarding for both of us. You had mentioned that it was important that you got him up to speed with what had been going on with the company over the past year. How do you do that without getting in the weeds? You're always trying to strike the right balance Lindsay, between going deep and staying strategic. And uh, what I have found is that senior executives like Dennis and, and others, and even myself, often want to identify the areas that they do want to go deep. So what I did uh, through a series of discussions, and we ended up, uh, when he first came on board, having discussions often early in the morning. He's an early riser. Uh, I'm an early riser. Start my day early, and so we 
would have these discussions where we sort of go through, drill down deeper and deeper into some topics. I knew there were things I wanted to get on the table. Uh, I also knew that there were things that he was interested in. And as we sort of iterated through, we found some of the very specific areas that I knew he wanted to go deep in and we would tunnel down, tunnel down. It would mean I'll send him a spreadsheet or a document and we'd go deeper and deeper. And at the same time, I also wanted to set, can't speak for someone else, but for myself, when I feel a sense of confidence that someone on my team owns something and knows the details and can master it, then I want to spend less time going deep and more time making sure we're alive. And, and I felt something very similar with Dennis, honestly, in that he would go deep and not just with me, but you know, many members of the executive staff. But I think when he felt that there was a sense of ownership and excellence and knowledge around the topic, he'd spend less time going deep and more time making sure there was alignment. And, and that became perhaps the biggest thing that sort of emerged from the series of conversations that I had with him and that I think was uh, empowering to, to me and, and I hope to him was that once we could be aligned on something, it made it that much easier to move on to the next topic and the next topic. That matches a conversation that I had with another guest in season one where we were talking about what CMOs should ultimately present to the board. And one of the pieces of advice was that the board, which sometimes the, or if it's you're presenting to the CEO, the CEO should already inherently trust that you know more about the marketing discipline than they do. What they're looking for is the confidence that you're the right person to get the job done and take it to the next level. So to your point, they're really looking at more of these overarching themes and are we aligned? And instead of talking about what we've done, what are we going to do moving forward, right? What's the market indicating, you know, what's the research that we've done, what are our competitors doing so that we can formulate a strategy. And that's really similar to what you're saying. What would be your advice for other CMOs who either they're a new CMO or they are having new CEO brought in where the CEO has very strong views on marketing, which are very different from the CMO? That is a, a key question. And, and I knew that Dennis did have strong views on marketing. I knew that he understood the space and he understood what marketing could do. And what I found right away was that I wanted to understand the extent of those views. And I think for someone coming into one of these situations, honestly, uh, you want to make sure that you don't jump to conclusions too quickly because a new CEO coming in uh, under a, you know, with over a CMO and that CMO wants to find out what do they know? What do they think? What do they believe? And you should spend the time to make sure that you fully understand not just how they view marketing, but why they view it that way. Is that informed by uh, their experiences at a different company? Is that informed by their experiences with a different marketer? And I think if you can start to gain that knowledge quickly, uh, you can start to figure out, is the disagreement, if there's any, that might exist going to be detrimental to your ability as a CMO to do your job? And to me, that's the important question. It's less that, oh, my new boss thinks X is important and I think Y is important. Okay. but. Can you agree on 
what it is you're supposed to do in terms of your goals, your metrics. And for example, I know that uh, my team and I, we have several metrics. One of the key ones is pipeline. We have to be super clear on how we define and measure pipeline, and then we have to go deliver it. And you know, as you look at the potential disagreements, focus on the bigger picture of your job as a CMO is to drive the business, to grow the business, to engage with customers, to create innovative ways of telling the company's story and differentiating in the marketplace. Can you do that or not? And if you can't, why? I've had the good fortune of working for multiple CEOs and other leaders with a diverse range of styles and a diverse set of thoughts on what makes good marketing. And likewise, having worked previously at a public company and, and here working for a private equity firm, I've dealt very directly with the board of directors on presenting what marketing does and where we should be focusing our efforts. We don't always agree, but I think in each instance, it's a learning opportunity for me to see, oh, I understand why they're asking that question. And I'm going to answer that in a way that hopefully helps them so that we can move forward from here. One of the things that I think CMOs and other leaders often do is they get asked questions that to them are like, ah, yeah, everyone's supposed to know that. But in reality, everyone doesn't know that. And if you're a good senior executive, you should be able to explain the most basic concept in your discipline as easily as you explain the most complex concept in your discipline to someone who's not in your discipline. What do you wish that more CEOs understood about marketing? What is the list going to start with is the question, uh, right? Uh, you know, I think that there's a couple of things that are key. One is that CEOs often do justifiably zoom in on either, either or rather, pipeline creation because it's so visible and so key, particularly in our space, SaaS, and or brand and brand awareness. And what's interesting is the fact that the, the relationship between pipeline creation, which is really demand creation, demand generation, and brand awareness, those two things are tightly coupled. And not all CEOs get that. They don't always realize that demand and brand are really two sides of, a, of one coin and that you can't really successfully over the long term have one without the other. And by understanding the relationship and realizing that Demand creation generates brand, brand generates demand, and the two operate at different levels and often with different time horizons. Uh, it, it helps you see how marketing works as a whole. Not everyone who, and certainly not every CEO gets that because uh, they may see these as distinct functions. Oh, just spend more on demand or spend more on brand, not realizing that you can't just shift all of the emphasis to one side or the other of the equation. I think that's, that's something I've seen in non-marketers 
at the CEO level, at the board level, and at other functional levels. And I've always tried to help them understand that. What's interesting is that Gartner just came out with a report. Uh, it was a uh, survey of global CMOs and Today, based on what's been happening in our world, brand is now the number one area of focus for CMOs because what we, like we talked about earlier, it has put a microscope on their brand because we, our only presence is our online presence. And there's also a lot of talk recently about even the title of the CMO of the chief marketing officer. How should we be even dropping the ing? And should it just be a chief market officer? Because it's not the chief financing officer or the chief executing officer. It's not about the, the discipline, the executing of the discipline, right? It's, it's the owner of the market. How do you see the role of the CMO evolving? Where do you see this role going? We've had this discussion in the industry around the, both the title and the role for a while now. So it's not new. And it, it comes back to it because uh, I think, unfortunately, marketing has not always done a great job on, of demonstrating how it creates value for a business. And in my, in my mind, I honestly don't spend a lot of time thinking about the title so much as I think about what is my scope? within the company at this point in time? And am I delivering the most value that I and my team can? For example, in the past 10, 11 months that I've been at Acoustic, uh, we're in a building mode. We're also in a, in a mode of having employees who transitioned out of a big company to become part of this company. They're onboarded a lot of new employees. I spend a lot of my time, I have spent a lot of my time on internal communications and helping uh, create a, a culture and community of transparency, of working very closely with our CHRO. Does that fall within the definition of CMO, whatever that is? Well, yes, it does, in my opinion, because I'm focused on communication and helping people understand where we are in the marketplace. I've also been focused on building a go-to-market model and creating the brand. So I, I think that the whole argument around, well, it should be the chief market officer or it should be you know, X, Y, or Z, sometimes does come back to uh, marketing perhaps having a little bit of, a, of an inferiority complex over the fact that we can measure a lot, we can't measure everything, and we shouldn't be ashamed to say, hey, you know, I can't directly measure that. But I can directly measure all of these other things, some of which are a proxy for that. Uh, and I'm going to do an amazing job on measuring and reporting and showing you the increase in value for the business of the things marketing can measure. And I'm going to continue to focus on investing in and helping you see the impact of the things that we can't necessarily directly measure. And, and marketers have to get better at that. And I think if they can do that well, Honestly, they can take whatever title works within the confines of their business and the context of what they're doing. And uh, you know, I partner well with our chief strategy officer, and I partner well with now our, our chief customer officer who owns the sales and organization. So each of those 
roles, we're seeing this evolution, right? We saw the evolution of the chief revenue officer coming in and what do they do? Who reports to them? That is a, is a constant sort of redefinition of the fact that organizations are dynamic beings and to be responsive to a very dynamic marketplace requires flexibility in how you get the work done. At the end of the day, generating revenue, creating great customer satisfaction and experiences, creating great employee experiences and satisfaction, those are the things that actually matter regardless. That's a fantastic perspective. Norman, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything you'd like to tackle that we didn't get a chance to cover? Uh, you asked a lot of terrific questions. Uh, the thing I would add is, and, and you know, I think it's a springboard off of what you covered here and other conversations, is like the SaaS business model is is one that is not fully perfected at this point. And uh, I think we all have to be thoughtful over the fact that, uh, particularly now, four months into a, a pandemic, that the SaaS business model itself is going to continue to undergo transformation. And so smart executives and certainly smart marketers need to be highly sensitive to the introduction of new variants and new drivers for the SaaS business model. Uh, it's something that we all have to make sure we're paying attention to because we're in the middle of it right now. We're not, we're not leveraging something that's being perfected. We're in fact reinventing something that is continuing to morph and change all the time and doing so because our customers are demanding it and our own market economics are demanding it. Awesome. Thank you. Well, to close the show here, I always like to ask our guests, do you have a signature or favorite toast to send us out? I'm actually uh, very, very pragmatic and old school about this because I believe that a short toast like cheers or salute is the fastest path to welcoming everybody, acknowledging it, and then starting to drink because that's the whole point of it. Well, cheers then. I will drink <laughs> to that. Cheers indeed. Thanks again to Norman for joining us on the show. If you want to try his Blackberry Bramble Rum Cocktail, yum, we're giving away a limited number of free cocktail kits to our listeners delivered straight to your home office, people. It's simple. Just go to cocktailcourier.com slash sasshalffull and use promo code digital to claim a free cocktail kit. Again, cocktailcourier.com slash sasshalffull and promo code digital to get a free cocktail kit. Appreciate the listen, everyone. Until next time, bottoms up.